0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Hamilton is increasing the number of times it will bother or remind property owners to pay their back taxes. Andrew Scheer has called on Justin Trudeau to resign as Prime Minister if his party doesn't win on Monday. And the FAO for the Ontario government says the deficit here in this province jumped to $7.4 billion last year. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML. I want to talk about taxes, uh, your taxes, your property taxes. Uh, how about your unpaid property taxes? A rather disturbing report that uh, council got uh, the other day. The city is increasing the number of times it bothers property owners about their taxes. But there's a reason for that. <laughs> because we seem to have, on a per capita basis, more people that aren't paying their property taxes than some of the larger cities in this country. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Jason Farr, the counselor for downtown Ward 2. And, uh, Jay, first of all, thanks for the time on a busy day. Glad you could join us today.
1: Uh, happy to do it, Bill. And if we have time, I, give me 30 seconds at the end of this chat, and I'll update you on the Gore building, so I know you're always keen yeah. to hear. Yeah,
0: good stuff. Yeah, well, let's okay. do that. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's, let's get into the tax thing. And, and, uh, and uh, I understand that there's some always going to be some people that are going to be a little tardy in, in, in paying the taxes, but what's, what's the rationale here? The numbers here are rather staggering.
1: Yeah, and we learned that uh, uh, through the budget process last year, and ultimately uh, Mayor Fred and uh, Arlene Vanderbeek uh, moved a motion back in April to have staff report back on some of the things we might do to mitigate this issue. And the issue is that we have close to $74 million in uncollected property taxes, so people that have uh, gone through a three-year period of not paying their property taxes and uh there's a number of reasons that the report uh, cited Bill as to why. Uh, in some cases, it's a landlord issue where they actually felt that that was the responsibility of their tenants to pay property taxes. I thought that one was odd. Um, estate sales that are being, um, you know, encumbered or delayed. Uh, financial hardships, obviously, is among one of the most. Uh, Prevalent uh, reasons for, uh, you know, at least what this report identified as uh, arrears are happening in this city. And um, and in some cases, and you're well aware of this too, uh, some of these properties are in the midst of an appeal uh, with MPAC, uh, ultimately the city. And so uh, through that appeal process, they feel it's not relevant to pay their taxes. They're waiting for the outcomes. There's other reasons, but uh, for the most part, those ones were... Were identified in the
0: report. One of the war, more disturbing aspects of this, when your finance guy Mike Zagaric was talking to you guys about this, uh, as he says, some people just uh, don't think that paying taxes is a priority, uh, not their highest priority. Uh, which I find rather disturbing. I mean, it's a responsibility, it's a civic responsibility, but I guess they figured out what the heck this city's going to... They'll give it... They'll back off. And other cities are a lot more punitive about this. And my understanding, Jay, is that this city, Hamilton, does not send bailiffs out. They don't come banging on the door saying, where's our money? Uh, some municipalities do. Uh, you've decided to take the path of least resistance here. But is it effective?
1: We are definitely uh, more lenient than most. There's no doubt about it. And first of all, we always appreciate uh, Mr. Zagarek's candor, and it certainly is true. And it is disturbing when you consider that, you know, folks are just not paying. And, and there is there is that responsibility. $74 million goes a long way in, you know, fixing roads or rec centers and doing all the things we do when we collect those taxes municipally. So,
0: Build yourself um, a nice size arena with that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, I'm, right just saying, I'm just saying i'm just saying i hadn't
1: thought of that uh leave it to you to think of that yes no uh there's there's much we could do with 74 million and so we we we've made an effort i mean we are uh, uh, uh more lenient than most uh, i think kitchener in the report and waterloo in terms of how we collect are are as lenient uh, we don't have as many tax sales as a result of the uh, three years of non-payment. we're as you know able to go into uh, a, a tax sale scenario we take over the property we sell it Sudbury um, and Windsor win uh, that recognition but we're up there and and you know you know t- a lot of tax sales uh, you know is a is a result of uh, an inability uh, for a lot of folks to uh, pay and 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 it also shows that we're having issues in terms of uh, collecting, and so we we took some measures as uh, the report suggested. Uh, there were some alternatives that we didn't uh, actually contemplate at least this time around, but certainly uh, in future years they're available to us, and they would be not allowing the partial payment option that we do as part of that leniency that we offer here in Hamilton and in a few other municipalities. So in that in that third year of arrears. Uh, uh, will allow you to pay out that third year to extend uh, your ownership or we could have uh, moved our three-year lien to two years like they do in other municipalities. I think Toronto is one. Instead, what we opted for was uh, notice. So We we generally, uh, four times a year, will notify those in arrears that they're in arrears and now we're going to extend that to uh, seven uh, letters a year. All the costs uh, to this option obviously are 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 not born on on the taxpayers they are part they become a part of that lean process so ultimately uh on a sale we would uh, collect all of the costs in trying to recuperate costs or uh exercising our our abilities to recuperate costs uh through uh through a tax sale so We didn't really lay down, I would suggest to you, Bill, a heavy hand, uh, but we did, uh, I think, and we will probably ratify without any major debate on Wednesday, uh, a greater attempt at getting notice out to those uh, folks who are
0: in arrears. But the numbers here are the thing that jumped out at me. Uh, As Councillor Ferguson pointed out when he was uh, giving his spiel about this, uh, roughly 300 to 500 liens are registered in Hamilton a year, 300 to 500. Toronto, which is a much larger city, only has about 100, and Brampton has about 50. So uh, that's, it's it's mind-boggling that people would be th- that tardy in their taxes. And, and I understand sometimes it's financial hardship, I get that, okay? And we all know the, the, the pressures that are on homeowners these days, and there are people that are on fixed incomes, a lot of seniors, uh, that uh, see their their property taxes going up as much as you guys try to work to keep them down. We get that, mm-hmm. but by the same token, uh, it's disturbing that there are some people that just don't bother to do it and and would rather the city chase them, which is going to cost you time and money.
1: Yeah, and again, a time and money that we can collect on if it ever comes to it. Yeah, a down,
0: sale. but that's but, way but down the
1: road. It is down the road, and it and it absolutely is. It, it is disturbing when we, you know, the whole point of the exercise with the motion. From, Fred and, and Arlene, was to, to take a look at our comparators. What are they doing right? Uh, what can we do better? And ultimately, we came to this resolution of getting the word out uh, on a more consistent basis. Uh, ultimately, you know, we do have um, opportunities and programs, particularly for seniors. There's two uh, where, you know, you, you you perhaps are now living alone in your home. You want to stay in your home and uh uh, you know the taxes are part of your annual payments and utilities and everything else and it adds up and it becomes a bit of a stress and so we have a few programs in place that uh, make it a little more uh, easy for you in terms of the property taxes you pay i don't have them in front of me bill but you can always call my office if you're a senior living in downtown or even throughout the city we'd be happy to refer you to those programs if uh, that's something that has become onerous, and we know that it has and and and, and these are the kinds of challenges, and, you know, the, you know we, it's like a pendulum. We try to uh, uh, promote uh, ways in which people can and continue to maintain their lifestyles uh, and, and, and you know, better accommodate what little monies they may have coming in on a monthly basis to, to stay and age in place, while at the same time we have a, a, you know, every taxpayer has that responsibility, and we have a responsibility to collect on the taxes that that they're responsible to pay, so so it's a lot of checks and balances throughout in a community that is uh, trying to be uh, accommodating, uh, trying to be understanding. But ultimately, you're you're right, Bill, and I mean all of council agreed we need to do a better job. Um, Seventy-four million is a lot of money annually that uh, you know we could be using to put towards this, you know capital programs that you know we, like most aging cities, especially, are in dire need of investing in.
0: There, there was a program in place, uh, and I don't know when you guys bought your place years ago, but uh, you, when you dealt with a bank and got a mortgage, an awful lot of the time the bank would look after the taxes. It would be rolled into your, your mortgage price, uh, but they'd pay the taxes for you every three or four months or whatever the deal is. Uh, most, right. banks, most banks don't offer that anymore for one reason or another because they're cutting back on services, I guess. Uh, which puts a little more pressure on, on individuals now because they've got to come out of – those are, those are out-of-pocket expenses now as opposed to something that would just automatically come out every uh, couple of months for them. So that's that's going to cause some added pressure. But the other aspect of this, and this goes all the way back to when I was on council and we used to get these reports, is uh, the finance team at that time was saying part of the problem here are out-of-town landlords uh, who don't really seem to have a whole lot of uh, – uh, interest, I guess, uh, to use that financial expression, to pay taxes in another city. They want the house, but they're living someplace else, and yeah, go ahead and chase me, and eventually they'll, they'll pay up more. But it's 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 an ongoing problem, and I know a lot of that is student housing and some other places like this. Is that still a problem for you now?
1: Well, yeah, I would suspect it is. It wasn't part of what was reported back to us, but uh, I, I'll bet, and as you're alluding to, Bill, uh, those delinquent landlords that have issues with the city that are, go beyond uh, paying taxes, property standards, um, and other issues, and yeah, there's, there's a long list of things that, like that. They cause problems, in
0: around McMaster and, and Mohawk,
1: undoubtedly they're the ones that are also uh, uh, not taking uh, paying their taxes seriously and ending up in their rears. There's there's probably a safe bet that there's a correlation there. So, you know we we can do more um we we have as a council decided through general issues committee to do more and that was but for the most part what was recommended in the report and that is to get the notices out more often so seven times a year versus four and then ultimately like i say the, the alternatives are we could uh, press harder instead of 3 years of arrears you'll only get 2 um, and, and we can eliminate, uh, you know, some of the generous things we do by giving you a little bit of a, a break on, on, you know, you're in a three-year arrear, we're ready to take a lean us for that third year, and we'll give you an extension. And we could even get rid of, of extensions altogether, and some of you miss, municipalities do that too. Are they successful by being aggressive? It m- may appear that some are. Um, you know, the more aggressive you are, perhaps more seriously, some who have property taxes in arrears will take uh, the payment of those arrears more seriously. So, you know, we're watching it a lot more closely. I think it was helpful through the budget process to to you know isolate on this, and you know, kudos to Mayor Fred and and uh, uh, Councillor Vanderbeek rather to 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 recognize that we should probably look more seriously at, at ways in which we can address. You know, what is a lot of money, $74 close to $74 is is a lot of money that we could put into services, programs, and capital.
0: Jay, are we doing enough to inform people about the alternative ways of payment? I mean, some people may just look at that bill and say, my God, I don't have the money, uh, and just throw it in the bottom drawer and figure, I don't know what I'm going to do. Instead of calling City Hall or their counselor and saying, look at what can you do for me, there are programs in place for people that are in that situation. They may not be aware of them
1: yeah well so so they can neither read the notice because the notice will make you aware of ways in which you can work with the city uh to get back on track so so you know if, if it's a failure to actually read your mail four times a year now seven times a year, then you know the onus has gotta you gotta start looking at you know those those delinquent uh uh owners and and make sure that uh you know they, they they step up and so yeah i mean yes there are obviously we had i think seven or eight identified i shared with you you know four or five here today but there's there's opportunities probably more in our community also places like kitchener waterloo has identified uh where you you can get into some program you can well, the city is willing to work with you we've we've you know as, for as long as i've been around we've been pretty good that way um and in, in, in some cases, if you have maybe a, a reason for a non-payment that we haven't identified in this report, you know we have some great staff. We have people and, and counselors that are willing to, you know, work with constituents who may be going through some hardships. And and like I said, it's, but particularly with the seniors, there's two programs in place where you know we're able to step up and, and accommodate. And, and you know, those are, are widely applauded. I think uh, locally. And and uh, increasingly, particularly particularly by our seniors population, they're being utilized. So, you know, we understand there's there's different reasons, and, and in um, in most cases, quite obviously, people pay their property taxes. It, we would just like to see. Uh, more people take it take it seriously.
0: Yeah, and and we'll, listen, I don't think anybody's advocating tossing people out if they're not getting to pay these things. I mean, because everybody's got their own story. I get that, and we don't want to get to that point. Uh, you don't want to be that punitive, but at the same time, uh, like you say, this is this is for a city and just about every city in in, in Ontario is in the same boat uh, that have huge financial challenges these days. Uh, to just you can't turn your back on this kind of in, that money. No. That's, I mean, that's what it's all about. Jay, we'll stay in touch. I got about thirty seconds, a minute left here. Talk to me about Gore.
1: So the demolition has started on the back portion, as we speak, and in the spring. Uh, And as noted uh, from an update I received just a few days ago from uh, one of the uh, spokespeople for the proponent, the restoration of the façades in the front, which of course won't be demolished, will begin in the spring.
0: Excellent. Uh, More to come on that later on. But thank you for the update, Jay. I appreciate the time, Bill. Have a great weekend. You too. Jason Farr, Counselor for Ward 2 downtown. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Just a couple of days away from the uh, federal election. Monday is voting day. If you did not vote in the advance polls uh, this past weekend, uh, get out and vote on Monday. If you don't have a ride, uh, call. Hit whoever you want to vote for, call back in their, their office, their election office. They'll, they'll get you a ride. Don't worry about that. Just get there. And uh, make your vote count and then uh, be listening uh, that evening when the polls close here at 900 CHML. We have extensive coverage uh, with our global news team. And uh, locally, of course, we'll have all the results for you. And on the national level, too, with uh, Donna Friesen uh, actually anchoring the, the the global coverage. And uh, David Aiken and so many other great uh, global folks are going to be involved in that. And uh, our CHML folks are going to be out at all the writings, uh, checking and getting all the local interest for you as well. But as we head into the uh, the last days of this campaign... Um, controversy. Boy, you could, uh, what a shock, right? It's been that way through the whole thing. Uh, and a lot of backbiting about what's going on. I, I guess nothing is inevitable in politics, but it looks more and more as if we're probably heading into a minority government, just the way the polls seem to be indicating right now, uh, which has got uh, Andrew Scheer uh, and Justin Trudeau and, and, and Jagmeet Singh, for that matter, uh, musing about how the next government is actually going to be formed. And uh, Mr. Shear seems to think there's a certain protocol that needs to be followed, and I'm not so sure that's correct. I want to bring Henry Jasek into the conversation, professor of political science at McMaster University. Henry, thanks for the time. Uh, Great to have you with us again today. Always great to be with you, Bill. Maybe we can get into the list uh, logistics, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this. But uh, with minority governments, it's it's a different set of rules. But there are rules, and uh, as I understand this, and I tried to do some research on this yesterday when Mister Shear was making his musings that uh, if Justin Trudeau loses, he should resign the prime ministership. Uh, we have a, a Westminster pol- uh, system, par- parliamentary system, which is really an adaptation of what they use in the in in Britain, right? That's for sure, and there are rules here about this, aren 't there? i mean uh and I know that i mean some some people may not be comfortable with this, but the the Prime Minister is the prime minister until he either resigns or is defeated in parliament is that right
2: that's correct so that Justin, is Justin correct.
0: trudeau is, is is still the prime minister of canada that
2: exactly for sure there's always there is always a government, no matter what's happened, no matter what kind of election, we always have a government. <laughs> So, which, which is, which, which, which though many of us think is great, some people may not think that's great, but we always do have a government.
0: And, and he is the prime minister until he, the, the, house of commons decides that he's no longer able to, to govern.
2: Yeah, he either resigns, he may say, I'm, I'm not going to fight, to uh, hang on because I think I'm, I'm not going to be able to do a good job or have the support, uh, or he'll say, st- say, uh, I, I think I can get a majority in the house of commons and, uh, and I can stay prime minister, so that 's really up to him how whether he wants to do it or not and and it is amazing at times some some prime ministers say oh god i i'm just going to give up i 'm not going to try to put, put together a minority government or a coalition government uh, and they 've lost the will to govern, uh, and the system says, yeah we can understand that and uh, but other people say they're going to hang on so uh, yeah, so shear has got it really wrong Shear is making up rules that don 't exist uh, the, the, the prime minister is the prime minister until he's no longer the prime minister, and it's his call, uh, or the House of Commons called uh, to get rid of him.
0: Well, and, and you know we don't know all the stuff that goes on, for instance, when the winner of the election goes to see the governor general, but one of the first questions they ask, and I know this from my old civics classes, Henry, uh, right. is can you form a government? Uh, exactly. And, and if the answer is no, well, then what are you doing here? Uh, they've usually done their homework on that beforehand to see whether or not they can do this. Uh, you're yeah. right. You're right. Paul Martin didn't bother to do that. Uh, a number of people have just said, I forget about it because I, I really don't want to form a, uh, any sort of alliances. You know, what's done is done and they move mm. on. But I mean, yeah. and I guess the most recent example we've got of that here in Canada was uh, in British Columbia when Christy Clark was defeated uh, in right. the last provincial election there. She tried. To go back to the legislature and former government it didn't work which is why they had the the change at the top
2: that's right the, the, the problem is generally uh, when we look at the uh, the landscape the political landscape it is very clear that generally uh, a majority of the voters in the in, in in canada and and this is true in all in a number of provinces including ontario that a majority are progressive voters. And by that I mean that they are willing to support one of the three progressive parties the Liberal Party, which is mildly progressive the uh, NDP which sort of is, is a middle middle of the road progressive or your standard social social democratic party and and the greens which are also a progressive party but they're way over uh, you know farther farther to the left mm-hmm. but that but people are willing to move among those three groups you put those three groups together and you have a majority of the voters as a matter of fact you put the liberal voters together with the NDP voters you have a majority uh now the question is do, will you have a majority of um, of uh, members, if you put together the NDP and the uh, and and the Liberals, that's what a lot of people are talking about, and I think they are l- overlooking something. So let me give it this to, yeah. to our listeners, th- because the, it, I think the people are missing this point. Uh, Recently, uh, the leader of the Bloc Québécois said he is not going to defeat or, or support any particular government. This is a Bloc Québécois uh, view that, they, that in our last constitutional crisis, which was in 2008, they behaved the same way. So what you need to do is you don't... You, you, people are thinking, well, 170 seats is needed for a majority. Well, that is not true. What we are have to wait and see how many seats the Bloc Québécois gets... We subtract that from 338, which is the total number of seats, and then you take a majority of that, and that's going to be less than 170. And most people are expecting, when you put the liberal seats together and the NDP seats together, they're going to be over that particular mark. So he, what the conservatives can see is that it's not going to be all that hard if Trudeau is willing to have a uh, an, an arrangement with the NDP. Uh, the NDP has said, we'll do just about anything, you know, we'll have, ulcer, we'll have agreements, we can have a coalition. We're open to essentially keeping the conservatives out of power, so they're willing to deal. And it's all up now to Trudeau. At, when he, on election night, when he looks at the returns, is he willing to make an agreement with the NDP? Um, I sus- he doesn't want to talk about it. I suspect he will. But we'll we'll have to wait and see. I,
0: I think part of the confusion here, too, Henry, is a lot of people conflate the idea of, of minority government with coalition, and and there are two thir- There's only ever been one coalition government federal government here, and that was 1917, and right. and it's really a contractual thing, isn't it?
2: that's right you can have different things you can have you can have an in, informal understanding that the uh, that the uh, party you're doing business with is going to uh, you know support your agenda but you know what they will support and what they won't support that's what you usually have in a minority government and it means that the the, the the government can't do everything it wants to do and it's kind of frustrated but he has to, has to live with it some people live with that frustration better than others one one uh, a few not too long ago uh, Bill Davis when he was premier of the province he had two uh, minority governments one of them lasted four years he yeah. was willing to compromise for four years uh, and he was able to do it. Uh, then you might have a situation where they write an accord together. They don't have a coalition government, but they write an accord, and they'll say, this is what we agree on doing, and this is how long the whole thing's going to last. And the liberals, under David Peterson and Bob Ray, under the NDP, made that agreement
0: That's right, yeah. in, 19, in
2: 1987. Then the third thing, to make it stronger, you have a coalition government where some members of the smaller party in the coalition will get cabinet posts. Now that's fairly rare here. Very common in Europe, however.
0: Uh, Churchill did that during the war years. Uh, his, his war cabinet and, and uh, that coalition was actually made up of different parties, uh, much to his chagrin, but, I mean, that's, that's what they get stuck with. So th- there's so many different machinations that are going on here, and, and I guess that's when the horse trading comes in, because obviously there are some things. It, let's, let's assume that it is going to be close. I saw one projection that said both the conservatives and liberals have 130 seats. Uh, and which means obviously it's a it's a deadlock. But you know you look and say, well, what will the NDP support some stuff the Liberal does? Because I know there's stuff in the Liberal platform that Jack Singh, and the NDP don't want. They don't like, including right. pipelines, including the NAFTA yeah, they, deal. They,
2: that, that's one thing they'll have to work out. Yeah. But on
0: the other hand, if the pro, if if it was a a, a Trudeau government once again. Uh, probably could count on support from the Conservatives on on pipelines in the NAFTA deal. So you've got to go back and forth like this. If it's not really a coalition, you're just looking for enough votes to have something pass, uh, boy, you've you really got to count the votes here and make sure that you know, you've got everything that's going on and count your ducks and see exactly who's going to support you on one particular issue or another.
2: Yeah, actually the more stable thing, I, I really think it makes a lot more sense to have either a written uh, agreement or, or to have a coalition government because you basically at that point you know you're a lot more sure of what you're you know what's likely to happen so uh, and and it's much more predictable and you can carry out an agenda and like you know for David Peterson it was terribly successful because he He got rid of, he didn't do things that the NDP didn't want him to do. He was maybe a bit frustrated, but he did things that they could agree on. He did it for two years, and lo and behold, after two years, what did the people of Ontario said, David Peterson, you're doing a wonderful job. We're going to give you such a wonderful, you know, wonderful, you've done such a wonderful job. We're going to give you a majority. And then what does he go? He goes in the majority and starts making mistakes yeah, a lot sure. of times.
0: <laughs> um, including and, calling an early election after the...
2: Early election, yeah. When he had Bob Ray you know, uh, you know, saying, listen, you've got to do this or that. Let's, let's agree on this. Everybody loved it, but Bob Ray didn't get the credit. David Pearson got yeah. the credit, but he, but he threw it away on a majority election. Now, last night, I was watching on TV, and they were t- ca- talking about this issue, and who comes in on Kathleen Wynn. Kathleen Wynn comes in and says, well, I know about minority government, because when I became premier, I had a minority government. She did when she had her minority government before she called her election, everybody loved Kathleen Wynn. She called an election, said, "We love Kathleen Wynn. They gave her a majority. Her problems began when she had a majority, she started making mistakes, yeah, and she made a whole bunch of mistakes, and we saw what happened to her last year quite frankly uh... i think uh... i think there's you know there is an old saying in very uh, different variations you know two heads are better than one and sometimes you know uh, or other people say uh, all of us in the room are smarter than any one of us and that's the problem is when you wh- when you have one person who's calling the shots they're likely to make mistakes because there's no uh, you know there's no leverage on them there's no, no one to tell them they can't do it they're the boss and they good or bad. They do things, and, and guess what? They're likely to do things that uh, you know that are that are that people are not going to like, and uh, because they don't have any check on them. So, quite frankly, I think if you have a coalition government uh, where you have an understanding between the two leaders, you're probably going to have pretty good government. And uh, I don't know if we're going to get that, but I certainly would think. Uh, you know, uh, it it would it would be nice to see. I I I really would like to see how that would work out. Because quite frankly, I think Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh could could work things out, and and probably run a pretty good government.
0: Well, in past governments like that, as I just say, they haven't been official coalitions, but you know, there've been a, a working agreement. Uh, There's been some pretty important legislation that's passed. I mean, it was it was the Mike or the uh, Mike, I was going to call him Mike Pearson, Lester Pearson, always oh, his nickname, right. uh, Lester right. Pearson uh, and and Tommy Douglas with uh, the NDP that actually got the, the the Medicare program that we have in this country got that through the the, the modernization of the pension plan. I mean, these were all right. things that were done with minority governments. So it's it's not as if it has to be a stalemate all the time.
2: I mean, and that's the great lesson of uh, you know over the over the you know from 60 years ago. Uh, is that Mike Pearson? I will always call him Mike rather than Lester B. Pearson. But Mike Pearson, but Premier Pearson, uh, you know, had two governments. They were both minority governments. He depended on Tommy Douglas and the NDP, and they did all sorts of great things that people absolutely liked. So when Pearson handed over the, you know, the the government to ju- to Pierre Trudeau, Pierre got a big uh, a big majority because people looked back and they said, you know, from sixty three to sixty eight. The government's really been great, and they once again they rewarded the senior partner in this case the Liberals and uh, didn't you know didn't didn't give any much credit to Tommy Douglas who I think deserved a heck of a lot of credit for that but he didn't get it and and so uh, so it's you know I I think it's in the Liberals' interest to have have a coalition government as a way of regaining their popularity clearly now uh, you know the Liberals have lost and I'm looking at the overnight surveys that have just come in, uh, you know, the, the Liberal Party has lost about about 10%. Uh, you know, it had about 40 41% the last time around, uh, and it's down, it's down to 31% now. So it's, it's lost 25% of its support since the last election. It needs a way, it needs to get back, and I think one good way of getting back is ha- run a very consensual uh, coalition government, and uh, it's a way for them to come back and uh you know his father did it his father uh, didn't have a coalitional government but he had a minority government that he was very astute in 72 to 74 he worked once again uh with the NDP uh they did some things people liked they rewarded Pierre Trudeau and uh, in 74 and gave him a, a, his second majority government and i think uh, he should look to see what, what his father did in this situation and maybe even do them one better and have a
0: coalition. We, we A couple of things I wanted just to get on the table here, maybe to circumvent some of the talking points that are going to come out. Uh, yeah. it, it is constitutional to form a coalition. I, I mean, you know, Even if Absolutely. Andrew Scheer has two more seats than the Liberals, and the Liberals say, "Well, yeah, but I've cut a deal with these guys," then they control the House of Commons, and it's quite within the rules. I know. I know when they tried to do that with uh, with uh, Dion and and Layton and and Ducep some years ago, uh, Stephen Harper said, "And it's this unconstitutional." Of course, that you know, this is a constitutional crisis. No, it isn't. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and, of course, he progued the Parliament so, to make sure they couldn't do that, uh, which was at his, a tool that he could use, too. So it is very viable. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but right. it is viable if they want to do that. And I don't know if they've had discussions about that or not. But the whole thing here, the end game, I guess, Henry, is who has the most votes that they can control the House of Commons? And That's if they right. if they say, well, we got 178 and that guy's only got 131, guess who wins? <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's right. What's the majority rules in in the House of Commons, not in the population. And you know, suppose the the conservatives get and right now I'm looking, oh, they they're virtually tied with the liberals. Well, let's yeah. suppose they get what, even 1% more popular vote than the liberals. Well, they would only have 32% of the population. That doesn't give them no, that should not give them the right to run a major to run a a government as if it were a majority government. Now, I know the the uh, the sheer arguments are 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 repeating arguments that sort of that uh, Harper made back in 2008 and uh you know they were i think those arguments were wrong then and they're wrong now now the interesting thing what happened back in 2008 is that really uh, it was they it was Harper who really wanted to be uh we really wanted to be the government and actually uh it was the liber- liberals who actually caved in to him where he prorogued this prorogued the uh, the the House of Commons And Dion, who was the leader, together with Leighton, the NDP leader, said, listen, uh, we can get rid of Harper, and we can have, we can have a, a liberal government with, with the support of a smaller NDP, but the, uh, but the liberal caucus said, oh, no, 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 we don't want to do that. We got this great star on the horizon. We're going to make him our leader. That was Michael Ignatov. And, of course, of course uh, he became the worst uh, leader <laughs> of the liberal party in, in, the, in the country's history. And, I mean, how could, you know, uh, the, the liberal caucus completely lost their nerve uh, they completely misjudged the canadian people and they thought that you know that they had this great star when in fact they had this great dud and and what happened the end result is you then had from uh, 2009 to 2015 you had a harper government which could have been a liberal you know liberal governments but the liberal you know the liberal members of parliament at the time just threw threw away the uh, advantage they had
0: this is going to be a big debate on uh, on Monday night as we get start looking at the numbers. But just as, yeah. as you've mentioned, I just want to reiterate for our listeners, it's the parliament that selects who the prime minister is going to be. It's exactly. not the, – the, the popular vote gets them all in there, and then they vote. Right. And, of course, if it's a majority government, of course they can form the government because they've got more people than anybody else. But but right. that's what this comes down to. And if there are more people that don't want Andrew Shear to be pro- prime minister than do – I mean, of the elected officials, then he's got a problem. And, and and of course, like you say, this is all a moot point if we get a majority government. But that doesn't look likely at this stage. Henry, no, it does uh, not look likely. Always no. great to get your perspective on this. Uh, I'd like to think we solved everything, but I'm not so sure that we have. We're going to have to wait till the dust settles, I guess, on Tuesday morning to find out what's going on.
2: Well, I think it's important for the, for, the, for the listeners to understand how our system works and not to be taken in by this nonsense that it's the party with the most uh, uh, seats on election night that becomes the government. That, that's totally untrue. It's the majority of the seats in the House of Commons. That's what matters, and they, they need to keep their eye on that.
0: Well, and we will as we start counting the votes on Monday. Thanks again, Henry. We'll talk soon. Okay, my pleasure, Bill Henry. Bye-bye. Henry Jacek, of course, from McMaster University. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, the Ontario budget deficit, uh, which was a major factor in uh, the provincial election campaign, and even subsequently so, as one of the talking points for Doug Ford after he won that election, uh, and he kept talking about this monstrous uh, deficit that was going to fifteen billion dollars, and boy, these guys are so, uh, you know. Unf- characteristically bad when it comes to dealing with money. Well, uh, the Financial Accountability Office has weighed in on this. Now, this is a, an independent body. It's, it's not liberal. It's not conservative. It's not voted by anybody. And these guys have, take an objective look at this. And I know governments cringe whenever the Financial Accountability Office goes and starts looking at the books because it's kind of like report card day when you're in school because uh, it's usually never good news. There's always a lot of flaws. Uh, and they have discovered that, uh, contrary to what uh, Doug Ford said, Uh, There was not a $15 billion deficit uh, from the Wynn government. It was actually in the neighborhood of $3.7 billion deficit. Quite a difference. And uh, adding to that, under the Ford government, that deficit has now ballooned because of some of the Ford spending. It's now almost double what it was, $7.4 billion under the Doug Ford government. Joining us to talk about this is Richard Brennan, retired journalist for the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and uh, in Parliament Hill, for that matter, for many, many years. Uh, Badger, how are you doing? What's going on today? I hear there's an election coming up. Well,
3: there seems to be, uh, <laughs> and it's a close one, boy, that's for sure. Um, God, knocked me over with a feather. That $15 billion never existed.
0: Where did they get these numbers? They just pulled this out of the air? I was going to use another expression, but... I
3: mean... <laughs> yeah, I, well, I know what you're saying. <laughs> so we'll leave that alone. But anyway, uh, yes, every government... I've ever covered is always said when they take over, all the deficit is the books are far worse than we can imagine. And they ran on this fifteen billion dollars and it not only did they run it on fifteen billion dollars, they repeated it time and time and time again for months afterwards, and still you hear it the odd time. Well, the critics said, and particularly the liberals, that, that that $15 billion never existed. It was fictitious. And, well, we, you know, people say, well, the government says it isn't. Well, as it turns out, it, it is fictitious, and it never existed. And, I, and, I, and it's not me saying that. You know, it's the you know, Financial Accountability Office saying that. Like you said, an independent
0: body. The same ones that chastised Dalton McGuinney, the same people that chastised oh, Kathleen Wynne. I mean, you know, absolutely. when you go under the microscope, you get what you get.
3: Well, and, and they made it worse by getting rid of the cap-and-trade, which actually made the Ontario government money. It was, a, you know, a cap-and-trade system that they had with Quebec and, and California. And it actually made them $1.9 billion in revenues. And the first thing that this, the Ford government did was get rid of it. And that, almost $2 billion, added right onto the deficit immediately. Mm-hmm. And if they hadn't done that, they would be in better shape.
0: Well, I, I, with the math here, 3.7, which is what he said the Kathleen wind deficit was, you add $2 billion to that, and you're already up to 4.7. Uh, but it's still higher than that. Because and, and one of the other things that Ford said he was going to do was get rid of all those uh, uh, hydro subsidies. He, they're still there.
3: Oh, uh, yeah, they're still there, and, and they're draining the coffers. There's no question. And he says, but he, he's, you know he's sticking with that because he's saying that he's going to make sure that people's electricity bills are lower. Well that means subsidies and so this is it's going to continue then
0: Well but yeah he said he's going to lower the
3: excuse me for one second just one because even the financial accountability officer says they never say where that money is going to come from to see the Ontarians pay less for their electricity.
0: There's another thing to this too, and it's a bookkeeping measure, and it's, I guess it's it's the other side of this coin of politicians promising that uh, we're going to reduce your taxes, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to put more money in your pocket. It's, it's, uh, what that always means, and I know you've written about this for years, but, but is that means less revenue coming into the government when they do that, and that's one of the things for for that starting about program cuts. And the uh, the Financial Accountability Office says there were fewer asset sales in 2018-2019, a 900 million dollar reduction in sales. And rentals revenue. That's that's another hit this government's taken because of their policies.
3: Well, that's that's the bottom line here is that they've they have a ideological approach to government, and that's you know people voted it for them, and and they knew that when they when they went in there, but they they just don't see you know the forest for the trees. They they bring in policies that are actually, as as, as the accountability officer says. It's actually costing them money, and it's actually driving up the deficit. And that runs absolutely contrary to what they promised. And they're promising to, as I recall, to balance the budget at the end of their term. Well, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't know how they're possibly going to be able to do it.
0: Well, they, I know they're they, relying
3: on the $2 billion that they hope to save by getting rid of 10,000 teachers. But that may not happen either.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's yet to be determined. Obviously, there's going to be some court battles about that. But you know, it, doubling the the deficit in less than a year and a half uh, is is somewhat problematic. And the obvious question here is, is why are we going in the wrong direction? Uh, if if this is a a government that says that they know how to handle things, I mean, the numbers are are there. And it's it's somewhat problematic. Now, obviously, you, there's a lot of speculation as to why they're doing this. I know Mike Schreiner from the Green Party and and, and a number of other folks uh, from, from the other parties, uh, Mitzi Hunter, of course, uh, from, from the Liberal Party, are simply saying, look, they just use that number arbitrarily to, to justify all these cuts that they want to make, which they say, and you, I think you just reiterated it, as it was really based on a philosophical point of view, not on a fiscal point of view.
3: And, and that's right. I mean I'm not going to say that they still can't turn the ship around here because they've you know they've got a couple more years to do it, but uh, boy they they better get at it because this this is this deficit is continuing to balloon i don't I don't know why they don't go back the cabin trade i i you know it's it's i really scratched my head at that one because it was making money for. The Province and it wasn't costing you and I any money
0: but again, they mischaracterized that they said it was and it, it in well, fact it, it
3: wasn't and it, that was you know it that's, as we know isn't true, so you know they could I, I know they never will, but boy there's there's an opportunity for them right there to go back into the cap and trade system and and make money, but it just they're like you say they're philosophically opposed to it, and it's not going to happen.
0: And we should remind our listeners once again, too, that uh, had they left that program alone, the carbon tax program would not have gone into effect in Ontario. The cap and trade would have superseded that, and, and everything would have gone on as it had already. That's so right. for those of you that are complaining about the carbon tax, and you think, oh, I'm reading those stickers on the gas pump, uh, it was a Doug Ford policy that brought the carbon tax in here. They simply said, you can do this, or we're going to do this I- instead. And he he made a choice. And it's, by the, it's cost him a ton of money, and now it's costing us money.
3: But, but I want to emphasize that the, the, the conservative the progressive conservative government is not alone in in you know exaggerating the whenever whenever a government goes into and uh, gets elected, exaggerating what what was left behind by the previous government. But this one was this was more you know this was I guess past exaggeration. It was just you know it was it was wild speculation of what it was and and it. And, you know, if you believe the if you believe the Financial Accountability Office, it was nowhere near 15 billion. I mean, it was like we're we're talking what five? Not even they're talking five times or, or three times or whatever it is. My math never great. I was a, I was a journalist, but <laughs> um, you know, it even if they said it was five billion. People would have maybe scratched their head and said, "Well, hold on, you know, they shouldn't do that." But they they ra- ratcheted up to fifteen billion dollars, which is, you know, astronomical. And now we find out it just wasn't right. It wasn't there. It was just absolutely made up.
0: How difficult when you were roaming the halls at Queens Park. Uh, was to get information like this, uh, you know, because you heard the government spin, and 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 there's a little voice inside of your head that's thinking, yeah, I don't care if it's this government or, or the previous governments, and you're thinking, all right, I'm smelling something going on here. But it's very difficult to to get real numbers to ascertain this. I mean, obviously the the, the financial accountability office can do that. That's their their mandate. They can do that. But uh, to get that story out there, I mean, you 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 cracked a few of them over your, the years, and uh, and you know we thank you for that, and, and others that have cracked stories about Queens Park. But boy, it's it it's very very difficult to try to get the truth and to try to get real numbers when government starts spinning like this.
3: What was that old old expression? Figures lie, and liars figure. Uh- it's I give great credit to you know i I think believe it was the liberal government that brought in this uh, financial accountability office because just like the parliamentary uh, um, office that is similar to this, it really, really helps to drive through the, uh, the bureaucracy to get what the figures really mean and 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 the, it was, I, This wasn't a uh, you know, this office wasn't around for a lot of my time as a journalist, but it sure helps because it's an independent body, and it what he what he, his office says, is you know is gold, and it, like you said we pre, private, or previously, is that every government hates to see this office look into their books. And journalists have sat down, and they have figured it out. But I'll tell you, it's it's not easily done.
0: Yeah, there's The other body, of course, is the Auditor General, and they come up with a nine-year-old report. But every time that happens, and and we have the Auditor General on, and the and Bonnie Lissick in this case, uh, crunches the numbers and tells us, invariably the next day the finance minister of the day comes back and says, "Yeah, well, we just don't believe that, we don't buy that, we don't agree with that. Uh and and I know the same thing is going to happen here from this report from the financial accountability office. Uh the, well, there doesn't yeah, seem to be I mean, any there doesn't seem to be any accountability. The government can just dismiss it and say yes yeah, so.
3: Well the government will be smarter if they just say nothing. Yeah. Because uh, the liberals were the the liberals were the government that first I'd ever heard of in in my you know 40 plus years. I never heard of a government saying that the auditor general was you know was basically loony and it was the liberals that started doing that and I, it was shocking quite frankly but i i don't know if the, i don't i think the conservatives are a little smarter than that and they may just just keep a lid on this and not say anything and hope it blows away
0: but will it I mean, this is this is a, a big amount of money, and and you you know that uh, right now you've got teachers unions that are, are going to be coming to the table, and they're going to say, look, it, we want a better deal than what we've had. Uh, you've got other people that are going to be coming up there, and the, the, we just talked about the autism program again yesterday, and there's some major concerns about that. Uh, this idea that uh, woe is us, we just don't have any money, uh, just got shot full of holes here by this report. Essentially, uh, you had money and, and you blown it. I mean, you you're making the wind government look thrifty.
3: Well, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here because now they can say that you know and they might say, well, maybe we miscalculated and that'll just be a, a thrown away. Uh, but they can say now, well, look at it. It's, we're spending far more money than we anticipated and that we can't afford to give you teachers and others an increase and I'll, I will bet you that's a that's the tack they're going to take and and it's supported by by what the uh, you know the Accountability Office is saying
0: yeah they can simply use these numbers to their own benefit now can't they in, in that particular instance anyway
3: and i you know if i was doing it i certainly would
0: and yeah, how's and how's that going to end up
3: well people will say well you know it's a, they'll, they'll they won't believe entirely that you know the 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 true believers won't believe that the accountability office number 1 and people you know when you start talking billions of dollars and i've always found this in in my career people just kind of shut down.
0: Yeah, they gloss they just, over.
3: Yeah, they just, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything. You know, like a, mere, a million, you know, for you and I, a million dollars still means a heck of a lot of money. But when you start talking about a billion dollars, it's just hard to comprehend. So I think people, for the most part, will just, you know, gloss over this and say, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a fight over, you know, a few billion dollars and uh, that's what it is,
0: and the fi- the concern, I-, I guess, from the Financial Accountability Office, and and for those of us, I guess, that would like our government to be fiscally responsible, uh, is is this a one day story? I mean, you know, we- we've got a federal election. Uh, you know how the news cycle works; everything gets bunched aside, and then all of a sudden, this is more important. This is more important. Uh, and
3: and yeah, I agree with you. I-, I just think this is a you know, there's another shiny object will come along, which is the election. And this will be not completely forgotten about it, but it, the uh, certainly the light will be taken off it.
0: And we still don't know when the legislature is going to resume, do we?
3: Um, well, after the election, sometime. Yeah. Uh, I think it's. I think there is a date. I. Um, but it's 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 post federal election, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, like you say, so nobody's... what are
3: you what are you betting there, Bill? Who's gonna who's gonna win this federal election?
0: Uh, it's going to be a dead heat. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you this. I've had sources that have told me, uh, notwithstanding Andrew Shears' uh, you know a, a, a protestation that there's a secret deal being worked out between the NDP and the Liberals. Uh, my sources tell me that uh, that the conservatives have had a number of conversations with the Bloc about forming uh, some sort of an alliance. So you know, this is the kettle calling the pot black. So we're not going to know. It's going to be well into the night before we find out oh, who's going to yeah. be governing on this. And and then now, the- this is
3: an election where it won't be decided by the time it hits. You know, uh, it leaves Ontario. This is one that's going to go right across the country before it's decided, which is kind of nice in a way because. You know, guy, if you lived you lived on British Columbia often, the whole thing's done before it even reaches you.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a different animal this time. We got to run. We're just about out of time. Uh, anyway. As always, th- thanks so much for this, Richard. Have a great weekend. Yeah. You too. Bye bye. Richard Brendan, of course. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from nine to noon on nine hundred CHML.